Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Appreciate your uh, prayers, concerns for Lisa. I appreciate the fact that things have, fall, have gone that we uh, uh, we're able to pick up this Sunday uh, after beginning two Sundays ago on this series called Initial Steps. You might be aware that the White House is the most visited house in our uh, in our country. It receives uh, one and a quarter million visits a year. Now there's some disagreement, but it's either second or fourth, I'm not sure which, depending on what source you're looking at, uh, says that the fourth or second most visited house is the Graceland Mansion in Memphis, Tennessee, which is, of course, the home of Elvis Presley. It's an, it's an elegant house with 23 rooms. It's really a combination museum, amusement park, historical site, all wrapped into one. It does 15 $15 million a year in tourist money. Over half a million people visit it every year to see Elvis's vehicles, his airplane, his golden records, his flashy clothes, his expensive jewelry. I think that's evidence that, that no one, no one, almost no one anyway, accumulated wealth faster and lived more extravagantly than Elvis Presley. He, he had it all from the secular viewpoint. But just outside the house, within 50 yards of it, is a small cemetery where the body of Elvis lies. He died at age 42 from an overdose of pills. If you know anything about Elvis, you know that he sang Peace in the Valley. If you know much about Elvis, and the tour won't mention it, but he never really experienced peace in his own life. Elvis is a vivid testimony that everything the world has to offer really does not satisfy the inner hunger, spiritual hunger, within our own hearts. I think that demonstrates why we began this series on initial steps, because people wonder, uh, how, how, do I, how do I follow Jesus? What, what are the steps? How, how do I begin to, uh, to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Well, to believe in Jesus, we talk about, means that we trust and follow him as Lord and Savior. But really, the question is, how? How do I trust and follow him? Well, these messages are topical in nature, and I will include scripture texts in several different places. Uh, not because I'm trying to take text out of, script, out of context, the scriptures out of context, but uh, because I want to give us a, a broad picture overview of what the New Testament says. So I'm really not going to love it if I hear pages flipping because you're not going to be able to get there and read it in context. But I would, would love you to jot down these notes, uh, the, the passages, because I would love for you to read them in context and, uh, and spend more time in them. My goal is to give a big picture of obvious ways that Jesus expects us to initially surrender to him as Lord, as Messiah, as King, and in doing so, find the peace that comes. If you're not sure about your relationship with God, if you're not sure you're a Christian and, 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 and in a, a saved relationship, I want you to be sure. 
I want you to be sure what God asks of you. If, if you're already uh, confident in your relationship with God, you're confident of your redemption and salvation, then I want you to be able to communicate that with others. So certainly the first thing we're called to is belief in Jesus as the Messiah, as the King. We sang a lot of that this morning. As Christ, as Lord, as Savior. Two weeks ago, we looked at the need to repent, which is the changing the direction of our lives, the way we think and feel and behave towards Jesus. Today, we're going to consider confession. The Apostle Paul explained it this way to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, when he said that if you confess, now here, I'm going to give you some other words because confess is not the word we use all the time. That if you confess that, or profess or declare or admit, acknowledge, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do we mean then by confess? Well, here's, here's the truth. We don't mean a public disclosure of sin. If your background uh, happens to be Catholic, the word confession likely carries this connotation of a verbal admission of sins and wrongs. Maybe you, maybe you step into a booth and confess your sins to a priest. Father, forgive me for I've sinned, I've lied, I've taken God's name in vain, whatever it might be. But that's not the kind of confession we're talking about. We don't stand in the baptistry and say, well, this is Bob who uh, wants to be baptized today. Now, before you're baptized, Bob, would you uh, confess your sins to this church? Well, people might wake up if we do that. <clears throat> In fact, somebody who knows Bob well might say, this is going to be a long service. <laughs> but that's not what God requires. It's true that James instructed in the fifth chapter in verse 16 of his book, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is value in admitting your sin to another believer, but, but neither a, a priest or a trusted friend has any spiritual authority to forgive sin. No amount of penance can erase sin. Only the blood of Christ that we've celebrated in the Lord's Supper together, only the blood of Christ can forgive sin. And that's why the Apostle John wrote the new believers in, in his first little book, 1 John 1 and 9, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. So the confession a person makes in his initial steps of following or surrendering to Jesus is not a confession of sin, but a confession of belief, a profession of belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, as Lord, as Son of God. That confession was first made by the Apostle Peter as we... Uh, we saw recorded in Matthew, and James led us in reading earlier, uh, where he gathered the disciples together, and he was asking them about who do people say I am, and they had all kinds of answers. But then he, he very specifically said, yeah, but, but who do you, who do you say I am? I don't know, but I kind of have a feeling that question was met with a long pause. And finally, Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you on this rock, that is on this confession, this fact of my deity, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell 
will not prevail against it. Peter's confession, his affirmation of faith, became the standard pledge, if you please, of becoming a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We see it, we see it happening in the conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch recorded by Luke in his second book, the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 27. Because this Ethiopian had been to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was riding home in his chariot, studying the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And I imagine he was questioning, did the Scripture really predict the Messiah would die? Uh, did, did it predict that he would rise again and reign, and reign in the hearts of people rather than on a throne in, in Jerusalem? He was... And as he read Isaiah's prophecy, it was Philip who happened, didn't happen, who the Lord brought beside him and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, can you explain it to me? And so beginning in verse 35 and 36, it says, Philip began with that very passage of scripture in Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, if you have an New International Version, IV, there's a footnote that carries verse 37 there that says, I believe, the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the footnote says that some late manuscripts don't have verse 37, so scholars don't know. We don't know. Is that, is that really what the Ethiopian said, or did a scribe later tag that in there because it was the normal practice? Well, instead of upsetting faith, it really ought to secure your faith because either way, it demonstrates what was common in the early church, a confession of faith in Christ prior to baptism, which is why I think Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, some people, uh, some ask, a person seeking the Lord and wanting to follow Jesus, they ask him to repeat a, something they call a sinner's prayer. Something like, God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ is your son, and I receive him now as my Savior. Well, here, what you're going to hear is not us ask you to repeat that, but to repeat the confession or to be asked, do you believe it? just before they're baptized. It's a verbal testimony to our belief in Christ, while baptism is a, is a visual testimony, isn't it, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as is communion, as we, we just read in, in 1 Corinthians 11. The confession is to belief in Jesus as the Messiah. It's not, well, I believe Jesus lived. That's not the confession. Yeah, I believe Jesus was a person on the earth. No, the, the confession is your belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the King sent by God, the Son of the living God, and you accept Him as your King, as your Lord, the Lord of your life. It is a surrendering to the authority He has in your life. The confession boldly affirms the identity of Jesus and humbly admits our total dependence on Him for redemption. So why? Why is confession commanded? What did God have in, in mind? What was the purpose in mind? Well, a number of things, I think. One is it solidifies a personal decision. When, when a person joins AA, they stand before a group and they say, Hello, my name is John Doe and I'm an alcoholic. That's not an easy thing to do. 
but it is a point that somebody comes where they identify the problem and, and it incorporates the support of the group. When we, when we confess or admit before a group, I am a sinner, like Randy was talking about, and, and I need Jesus Christ to rescue me, then from that moment forward, I'm going to live for him. It announces our choice, and it promotes positive peer pressure. If you, if you come to believe in and decide to live for Jesus Christ, but you keep it to yourself, it's a lot easier to renege on that, isn't it? Nobody really knows. But if you courageously confess that faith to people, that's why almost everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. Did you notice that? And yet there's no set of people, no set number of people. For instance, when the Ethiopian was baptized, Philip was there and a few people from the caravan, but... That, that's all. Jesus said, Matthew 10, verse 32, whoever publicly acknowledges me, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Or whoever confesses me before others, I will confess before my Father. It also can be inspirational to other people. There are people, when you confirm your faith in Christ, people who respect you may think, you know, if they can do that, I can too. It's an encouragement. You may be terrified to stand in front of people, but remember that Jesus was stripped naked and crucified for you in public. And it may give you the impetus to stand as well and be willing to admit your faith in him. And it may just be that God works through your nervousness so that somebody else is convicted and comes to faith as well. In fact, it was Paul who said, in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. And it's also a natural expression of thankfulness for God's forgiveness, for the forgiveness we find in Jesus Christ. There's a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. He'd been blind all of his life. The enemies of Jesus, the religious authorities, called him in and demanded, who did this for you? And the man said, the one they called Jesus of Nazareth. And then the enemies of Jesus said, well, don't give glory to Jesus. He's a sinner. And the man's reply was, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. If the man wouldn't have told the people who had healed him, you might think he wasn't grateful, but he was grateful extremely grateful and he professed that to others once we begin to understand the full price that jesus paid for our sin on the cross that we might be in a right relationship with god to be with him forever then it's really not too difficult is it to say before people jesus christ is my lord my savior and i am so thankful we do that i think i think as a I think, God gave, I think Jesus gave it to us to help us. I'm talking about communion. I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. Every Sunday when we come together and we take that bread and that juice together, it is a confession. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Every time we do this, we declare, we confess, we profess the death, burial, and the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. That's what that's about. There, there is a Redeemer. That's what we sing, and that's what that song says.
And there's another song that we sometimes sing called, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. And we need to let that idea not just be something we sing when we're in a, in a room like this gathered together, but it ought to be something that's coming out of our mouths, being confessed as we go out into the world. And it may not be the popular thing, and it may not be always welcomed, but it is the truth. It is the truth of our lives. Well, how do we confess? How do we confess? What purpose does God have in this? Well, first of all, we confess, Paul wrote, with our mouth. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, most of us have used our mouths for some pretty terrible things. We have, uh, I don't know, out of our mouths may have come lying, uh, profanity, uh, crude jokes, uh, hateful things, gossip, slander. Here's a chance to use your mouth for the highest good that God has given you. The confession of Jesus Christ to articulate our allegiance, to solidify our choice, to express thanksgiving by confessing his name. Now, there's one qualifier that Paul gave in the second part of that sentence. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Yeah, I've done a number of weddings. I don't know how many. I don't keep track of them. But. It doesn't do much good for a couple to stand before me and you and God and repeat wedding vows if it's not the expression of the commitment of their heart. Jesus said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father who's in heaven. This is a heart thing. This is something you hold within as truth and we don't ask you to repeat by rote something that we've come up with so you can join the church no god asked you jesus asked you to express the conviction of your heart so that you might have a relationship with jesus christ isn't it interesting that god in god's wisdom the whole person is included in this experience we we hear with our ears we confess with our mouth we believe with our hearts we repent with our minds we are baptized in our body. We are transformed in our spirit. No wonder Paul reminded them in Corinth, if anybody is in Christ, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things are here. Now, I want you to note this, that these steps are initial steps. These are beginning steps. But they're meant to continue to intensify as we mature in Christ. Our faith is to deepen as we grow in Christ. Our repentance is to be a continual thing that when, we, when sin comes into our life, because it will, we will fall short. What are we to do? Well, as we read in 1 John, we're to confess that to God and, 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 and to get back on the path. And the and this assurance we have is of his forgiveness. And confession isn't Something we do one time and then forget. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. It's a continuous growing action in the life of a follower of Jesus. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13, verse 15 said, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, that profess his name, that admit, that acknowledge that you're a follower of Jesus, the Messiah. 
Now, people in our world can be very bold in their loyalties and their allegiances. A lot of them show it on Saturdays in big gatherings in the fall. Followers of Jesus need to be just as bold in our confession of him. The psalmist wrote, Psalm 107, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord, let those who have been redeemed say so. Not once, but continually. We should be tactful, we shouldn't be abrasive, but the longer we follow Jesus, the more natural it ought to be in our conversation. Often we think of this in, in negative ways. I'm against this because I'm a Christian. We ought to be searching for positive ways because Jesus was positive and confess our faith in the good things that God is doing. John recorded in his gospel in the 12th chapter in verse 42 that many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They love the praise of people more than praise from God. When we get more concerned with the opinion of people than we are our evaluation of God, then our testimony, our confession is muted. I don't know. Maybe it's bowing your head in a restaurant to give thanks before a meal. Maybe, maybe that's a positive way that you can confess Jesus. Maybe, maybe writing letters of commendation for good things being done instead of protest for bad things being done in the name of Jesus. And maybe if you go out to eat today, you leave a really, really good tip. Because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let the light shine that they may glorify God. According to the media, about 50,000 people attend Graceland to pay tribute to the king of rock and roll on the anniversary of his death. If 50,000 can pay tribute to a man who died and is still dead, certainly we ought to acknowledge unashamedly, confess and praise the one who died for our sins but is now alive because God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of our souls. Well, before we close with a song of confession this morning, I think it might be good if we repeat that confession together. Maybe you haven't said this since you stood in the baptistry when you were baptized. So I'm going to ask you, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, would you repeat after me? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.